Are you tired of putting yourself last? Of taking care of everybody else's needs and powering through to meet the next set of impossible standards? In our fast-paced society, we lose touch with our intrinsic worth, with the ability to value ourselves for who we are right now. Instead of living life exhausted, frustrated, and disconnected from your authentic self, maybe it's time to put yourself back in the life you've worked so hard to create. Join radio host and life choreographer Laura Cheadle and learn how to build your dreams and live your sparkle using the five steps of flaunt. Find your fetish, laugh out loud, accept unconditionally, navigate the negative, and trust in your truth. Welcome to Flaunt, Build Your Dreams and Live Your Sparkle. I'm Laura Cheadle, and today we are going to talk about a subject that has a tendency to dull our sparkle. We're going to talk about being a perfectionist, and I don't know if you're anything like me, but yeah, I fall into that category of being a perfectionist and getting down on myself and then spiraling into all of this self-judgment and limiting beliefs and blah, 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 blah. So today we are going to talk about how to detox from that. And as a guest, we are going to bring on Miss Petra Kolber, who recently wrote the book, Perfection Detox. Welcome to the show, Petra. Laura, thank you so much for having me. Can I just say your energy is absolutely perfect. So (laughs) it's a pleasure to be um, with you and with your uh, audience today. Oh, thank you so much. Okay, so let's just dive right in and start talking about your book. So are you a perfectionist? I like to call myself a recovering perfectionist because while I think, and people often ask me this, Laura, is like, is this something you can get over or fix? I think depending on how deep the root is, we can make friends with it. We can have uh, strategies and ways to like kind of put our perfectionism in the backseat, but she will show up in different ways. So am I a perfect, I say I'm a recovering perfectionist on my good days. I would say she doesn't hold me back, but you know, I think also as the stakes get bigger and as we get more courageous, we also have the, the idea of having to be perfect to fit in at the seat of the higher stakes table. I think it's an ongoing process and one that when we can be aware of our inner chatter of these false beliefs that might hold us back. So do, am I over it? No. Am I recovering? Yes. And you're aware of it. I think awareness is probably a key. I think whatever you're dealing with, Laura, you know this probably better than anyone. If we don't have awareness, how are we going to address it? So um, I've had many women especially say to me, oh, I bought this book for a friend of mine, not thinking I was a perfectionist. I just breezed through it. Oh my gosh, I saw myself on all the pages. So whether it's, you know, some people think of it as a lack of confidence. I call it the gap between where you are and where you want to be. Not where you think you should be, but where your inner desires are calling you to be. And if there's a gap between, you know, who you know you are and who you think you should be in the world, that's the heart space and the head space that I'm talking to. Oh, and I love that you just brought that in right, right here and explained it that way. Because for 
many of us, we are told how we should be and how we should look and what we sh we're told if we should have kids and how many we should have and if we should stay home or if we should go back to work and what kind of a job and what we should look like and oh my gosh, the thigh gap and that we can't have cellulite and, and our hair and our nails and, but we might not really want that, huh? Well, you know, I think we all want to be our best self, whatever that means. Um, but what the best self and the perfect self are two very different things. And I come from a world, you know, for 30 years, my, my experience and my livelihood was in this world called fitness, which is so much good comes out of movement. But we did a lot of damage because in that world, we're selling this idea, if you get the six pack, you're going to be happy. If you get the perfect body, you're going to be happy. If you get into the bikini. And as you know, you might get the six pack and all of a sudden your life hasn't changed. And you're like, darn it. I've spent, I've starved myself. I haven't eaten a carb in six months. Why am I not happy? So it's this idea of recognizing our best self. It's going to mean different things to all of us. And the only person that can decide that is you. And it's really hard, as you know, Laura, to take the time to listen to what our inner voice is telling us versus, especially in this day and age of social media, you know, we, we, without realizing it, we're comparing the truth of who we are to this highlight reel of what we see scrolling across our feeds. So there's nothing wrong in wanting to put on makeup and lose some weight. And, but if it's for the goal of being your best physical self, so you can move into a life of your dreams, not looking a perfect 10 or a perfect whatever, because that's just, and trust me, the older you get, we don't, I don't have time to chase that. I'm sorry. And I think this is what's so interesting, Laura, when I was in the fitness world, by all standards looking in, partly because I was teaching a million classes a week, you couldn't help but be skinny. It wasn't, you know, anything I strive for. But even then when I had the so-called in air tags, you know, hashtag perfect body, I never appreciated it. I never, I never thought I had the dream body or sort of the dream life. And actually, the older I get and the more imperfect my body becomes, the happier I am with who I am in the world. And I just, the reason I wrote this book is because I don't want people to wait till 50, 55 to figure out what a gift this life is, you know? Yes. Oh, and it is a gift. And I love that you said that because there are people who have perfect components of their life. They might have the perfect body or the perfect house or the perfect relationship and they're not happy because happiness isn't in the external. It's internal. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's perfect at what cost? Is it perfect at any cost? And you know, we might look from the outside looking in, you know, we're looking at, you know, social media or, or even our friends and it looks from the outside and they might have, who knows, the perfect relationship. But that might have come at the cost of something else. Maybe their work life isn't where they, their ambition wanted it to be. Or maybe they have from the outside looking in the perfect career ladder. And then maybe we look at their areas of relationship and maybe that suffered. Or maybe our family life looks perfect, but our inner relationship has suffered. So, so there's, there's these areas of our life, our work life, our relationship life, our personal life. And it's rare, because I have this a lot with guys. They often say, well, I'm doing, you know, I've got the perfect career track and I'm, I'm there, you know, working at, you know, all these hours and it works well for me. And I'm like, great. And are you in a relationship? Yeah. And how is that? It's great. 
well, have you actually asked your partner how great it is? And if we really dive deep, there's probably some sense of, you know, lacking or the other person not feeling as important as the work. And so it's rare that this idea of perfect, which is a false illusion anyway, but if we are achieving it, let's say, in one area of our life, it is my guess, not always the case, but most of the time there's another part of our personal life that is suffering and not just suffering a little, but suffering a lot. I love that you said that because it, it brings in that component of balance. And like you said earlier, the fitness industry, there's amazing, wonderful things that come out of that, but there's damage too. And same thing with the idea of women in the workforce and getting equal pay. There's a lot of positive stuff around that because absolutely we can choose to be in the workforce. Absolutely we should get equal pay. But there is also some damage because it kind of presupposes that we can go out and bring home the bacon and fry it up in a pan and be a perfect mom and be the perfect wife and look like a, an airbrushed model. And we can't do it all. Yeah, I love it when people say, what do you think about this idea of balance? And I used to say it's like juggling balls, but a good friend of mine, Shannon Fable, actually, I like her analogy better. She goes, it's spinning plates. And yeah. she goes, you know, we're spinning plates. And sometimes we know that there's one area of our life that you know, that plate begins to wobble. So we need to put more of our attention over there. Maybe it's my relationship with my husband. So I, put, I spin that plate for a little bit. And then all of a sudden, the plate of my business life is kind of like about to teeter over. So I kind of Okay, put that over hold. And I really thought that was such a great analogy. Like, we're not going to be all things to everybody all of the time. No. And if we try and do that, we're going to be no things to everybody. And even if we are, we're going to be so miserable and so stretched thin. But this whole idea of spinning plates made such sense to me um, that we do the best we can with what we have. And different parts of our life are going to take different parts of our attention, depending on where we need to place that attention, depending what's going on in our, you know, our partner's life, our kids' lives, our work life. And no one, we can't dictate that, but we can spin those plates. And then also remember to spin the plate of radical self-care too. So we have the energy to continue spinning all these other plates that are going on in our lives. Exactly. Yeah, I love that. I, I know you can relate. Right now I've received the final edits of my manuscript back and I've got two weeks to get those in. So you're right. Those other plates are not going to get attention right now, nor should they, because this is rising to the forefront and I need to get those edits done. But it doesn't mean I'm going to completely let everything else go. I may work out less. I may eat a little worse. I may not pay attention to my friends or my husband or my kids, but it's not letting them go and it's okay. Yeah. And congratulations. That's super exciting, a place to be. So congratulations for that. And again, yeah. And as long as we have, if we're in relationships, you know, your husband, your kids, we explain what's going on and they, not, nobody who truly loves you, they want you to be the best author, the best speaker, the best, pod, best podcaster than you possibly can be. And realizing that the sacrifice, again, I put that in air quotes, so it's not necessarily sacrifice. Yeah. When your children see you being, having so much joy from all these other areas of your life, you're teaching them so well. Because then it's giving them permission to go for their dreams. Um, and also letting them realize that there's no such thing as balance. And when... <laughs> When we're, when we're trying to be this perfect lie, our kids yeah. don't know what they're seeing. 
but we are setting an, an, an example for the impossible. Because kids don't listen to us, but they certainly watch us. So we need to really manage, you know, if you are a mom, a father, what silent subliminal messages we're, sell we're selling and telling to our children when we expect them to be getting the perfect grades, being perfect on the basketball, you know, all these extra school activities. So, and again, there's this world of great expectations, but how can we balance that with the reality of what life really means. So that means good times, not so good times. And sometimes just everything hits the fan. Yes. And it's, it's survival times. But when you're teaching your kids that, um, they learn from what is real versus this highlight reel of comparison to what we think we should, this is what we do should all over ourselves, you know, of what we think we should be doing to have a perfect, happy, joyful life. Petra, that is just brilliant and beautiful because you're absolutely right. It's not necessarily balance in the everyday. It's balance over the long haul. And I love that message. And for me, that feels free and that feels joyful that I don't have to should all over myself, which is one of my favorites, or beat myself up if I, again, air quotes, mess up for a day or for a week it's striving over the long haul to, to do what I want to do and to do what feels good and to bring that joy in. Joy is one of my favorite words. Let's talk about happiness and joy. Go ahead. What do you want to know? You, I, don't think you need, I don't think you need to know much. I mean, you're oh. like an incredibly <laughs> joyful person. Oh, I, I am a joyful person. And that's one of the things that attracts me to you too. But, you know, you've probably noticed this as well. There's a lot of people out there who are not joyful. And I practiced law for 10 years. And let me tell you, there are a lot of non-joyful people, both attorneys and clients in that profession as well as in the world. But we're all, we're all human. We're all trying to do our best. Why do you think some people just have a harder time being happy than others? Well, that's such a great question. Some of it's genetic. I mean, some of it is we have predisposed. Our, I mean, this research is changing, um, but, you know, great research by Sonia Lubomirsky, who wrote an amazing book called The How of Happiness. And research in general is showing, and again, you know, the whole biogenetics and uh, everything that's changing. So the, the, the data might be already out of date, but they're saying on average, 50% of our happiness, we have no control over. And so that is why I think it's important. And I'll go back to the story in a moment, but it's really important for us to say, it's not, are you happy or sad? It's not that you do have joy, you don't have joy, but what can you do today to be 2% more joyful, 2% happier in your life? Because our set point is different. So if I'm comparing my joy to Laura's joy or you know, to Susie's joy, I'm going to feel bad. And what happened, Laura, is when I started doing a lot of work around happiness, I started posting unwittingly on Facebook, all this stuff about happiness and contentment. And I'd have people message me offline going, how are you happy all the time? And I realized I was doing a disservice because I'm not happy all the time. It's impossible unless you're delusional. You know, I mean, there are people that, you know, very, but I call it because my background was fitness. I say happiness is like interval training. It's peaks and it's valleys. But when we strengthen our happiness muscle, when we work on our courage and our joy, what it allows us to do is in the good times, celebrate them without waiting for the shoe to drop. 
And in the not so good times, it allows us to say this too shall pass. But coming back to happiness and joy, while there's 50% that I came out a happy baby, I'm just, I just was. But there are many people that might need to be on medication to find that baseline where they can function well. And there's nothing wrong with that. Then 10% of what we think we're going to find a lot of our happiness, and I'm going to separate the word joy from this, but happiness, the right partner, the right, uh, the right job, the, the right weight, the right money, that actually only brings 10%. Because like that chase it, you know, the carrot and the stick. You get, you lose the weight. Oh, someone, else, someone lost more weight than I did. You get the pay raise. Oh, they got more money than I did. You got the perfect dream job. Oh, Susie got it. So there's always something better. But what we are seeing, research is showing 40%. That's a huge amount. 40% of our happiness we have control over. And the majority of that is through the choices that we make. Minute by minute, moment by moment. Because these moments build up to those minutes, build up to those days, build up to the month, build up to our life. And these micro choices that seem so insignificant in the moment, do I choose to look at all that I am or do I choose to look at all that I think I'm not? Do I choose to seek the good in people or do I choose to seek the worst? Those are choices. And whether your baseline happiness is lower or higher, we all have the same choices when it comes to that kind of, of life and the life that we choose to try and nurture and cultivate. Oh, I like that. Now, I want to unpack some of that because there's a lot there. 50%. Love that. I didn't realize that statistic, that there was that genetic, that much of a genetic component, but that makes sense. So A, I love that. B, I also love that you said sometimes people need medication or herbs or whatever they might need to get up to that baseline. So valid. So true. I love that. Then 10% was it of the little choices that you, wow, because yes, you're right. Again, coming from a fitness background, I love fitness and fitness makes me feel better. And when I get a little heavier than I'm comfortable with, I'm not as comfortable moving. So losing weight sometimes does make me happier, not necessarily because I'm skinny and perfect, but because I feel healthier and I can move better and I'm more comfortable in my body. So I love that there's some validity around that. It's not, it's not that I'm superficial. There's some truth around that. Yeah, and I, you know, for a long time, when I went back to school for positive psychology, Laura, before I did the work around perfectionism, I did, um, so I went back to school to study this guy called Tal Ben-Jahar. He taught the leading course at Harvard on happiness. And when he started teaching it, there were eight people. When he left, there were 800. I mean, yeah. it's just crazy. And there's all this science around it now. With anything, you know, you pick, even I do this, I choose to pick the science that supports my cause, you know, oh, so really? you have to do your own research. But um, I had a point. Oh, yeah. So I went back to school and then we had 180 people from all around the world. And uh, we met at Kripalu twice, twice throughout the year. And we had to break up into what we were doing as a profession. And there was fitness, there was yoga. So yoga and fitness are kind of separated. There were coaches, huge amount of coaches. I was the only person from the world of fitness that was like, I'm like, oh, this is interesting. Wow. There's, some, there's something here. And so what I did, I created a program called Moving to Happiness. And it's just like you said, Laura, my thing is like, I'm not here to change your workout. I'm here to change why you work out. So yes, we might need to lose weight. 
We might, because we might need to lose weight for our health. We might need to lose weight to feel a certain way we're on the, on the stage. But at the end game, we're not making it about the weight. We're making yes. it about how we feel. We've got more energy. We're better focused. We're less stressed. We're less anxious. So all these other feelings, these feel-good feelings, when we can make that the focus, guess what happens? You're going to lose the weight. But when you make weight the focus or looking a certain way, A, it's just drudgery because I can't think of anybody who jumps out of bed today going, yay, I'm going to go to the gym to lose weight. <laughs> but if I'm saying, yay, you know, I'm going to go to Italy next year with my girlfriends and I know I want to have enough energy to take the cooking classes, go on the hikes, da, da, da. And to do that, I know to be at my best optimal health, I need to lose some weight it changes the whole focus and it changes the whole experience. But unfortunately, the fitness world, we were really good at selling 10 pounds, you're gonna be happy. Look right. this way, you're gonna be successful. And so people often say to me, oh, I just, you know, I don't get it, I failed at fitness. I'm like, no, 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 you've never failed at fitness. Fitness has failed you. So I don't even use the word exercise anymore, Laura. I use the word movement, move, find something where you can move your body because sitting is the worst place for our unhappiness, our depression, our stress, our inner critic. So you got to get up and move just to be your best self. It's impossible to move your mindset if you're not moving your body. Thank you for saying that. That is so true because we are bodies and we are minds and we're spirits and it's all interrelated. And I just have to do a little segue on fitness before I jump ahead into some of those choices. I love that you said movement because, and I know you know this, uh, because I think I actually took one of your classes at a triple AI conference yeah. at the Broadmoor. <laughs> I love the Broadmoor. Yes. Although that altitude, you know, I'm like, so I would do the warm up for everyone listening and I'm in New York city and the Broadmoor, what's the altitude there? It's not that bad, but. Oh, you know, well, you know, Denver's 5280, yeah. and I think the springs are a little higher than that. Yes, so. well, I'd be stuck in wind, but that's one of my favorite conferences. That hotel is beautiful. Me too. But just the movement piece. I go every year I can go whether or not I need continuing ed credits. And for listeners who don't know, it's basically a convention where you can get your continuing education credits for um, teaching fitness, whatever kind of fitness that may be. But I would get the brochure. And I would pour over it and I would circle my classes and I would highlight because I loved the movement. And oh my goodness, I mean, you work out from like seven in the morning until like five at night and you're exhausted, but you're thrilled because you get to do things. You get to, you don't have to. I'm like, oh, I got to take step again and oh, now I got to try yoga and ooh, kickboxing and whoa, insanity. I'm going to do that. And it's fun. So, you know, going to your point of nobody wakes up and says, yes, I got to go to the gym and lose weight. Sure don't. Sure don't. And my thing is too, you know, if you're moving and you go to the gym and go, I just, I just don't like, I just hate exercise. Do something different. Find a dance class, go to a dance studio, go for a walk with your girlfriends, go for a hike, go for a bike ride. It doesn't have to be in the gym. And a great people go, well, I'm, I'm like, just tr keep trying. You will find something. Maybe it's a tap class. Maybe it's a, you know, Broadway jazz class. Who knows? But just find something. And there will be something where your body goes, this feels good. 
And sometimes it's just finding the right teacher. Sometimes it's finding the right music that resonates with you. But don't give up. Movement should not be a burden. And if it's walking outside, that's a beautiful place to start. Absolutely. Yeah, love that. So thank you for that little movement segue because I just love moving. (laughs) So then going to that last, that 40% of the choices. Ooh, talk more about that. What are some of the choices that listeners can make that can help increase their level of happiness? Okay, so I love this quote. I'm going to try and get it right. Watch your thoughts because they become your words. Watch your words because they become your actions. Watch your actions because they create your habits. Watch your habits because they build your character and your character creates your destiny. So that started with your thoughts. The 40% of where we really have the biggest choice and where we need awareness is our thoughts. Everything we do begins with a thought. Every emotion we have begins with a thought and you know this. And the, tra- the challenge is we have, on average, between 60,000 and 70,000 thoughts a day, depending on which research you're looking at. On average, they say 95% of those are the same as we had yesterday, repetitive thoughts not even aware of. And 80 to 85% of those tend to be negative. Now, oh. yeah, it's not a character flaw. When I say that, I was like, oh, another thing I'm not good at. I'm picking bad thoughts. No, you're not. <laughs> it's part of our DNA because our ancestors when they were fighting, you know, searching for food and you know, going, going for their tribe, they had to focus on the things that could kill them. So their attention would be on the danger and the anxiety and the stress, and it served them well. It kept them alive, and it's why we're here today. The trouble is that part of our brain, or not the trouble, the challenge is that part of the brain is still with us. And because it's the oldest part of the brain, it's the strongest. It's reptilian brain, the monkey brain, monkey mind, you know, Yes. So that's our fight flight response. And it's the strongest and it's where we go the quickest. And whether we're aware of it or not, these constant thoughts that we have, these repetitive thoughts about ourselves and our position in the world and our view of the world, they will really, where our attention goes, our energy flows. And uh, Tal used to say, appreciate the good and the good will appreciate. <laughs> so 40% is really over and over again, where's my attention? Where's my focus? Can I reframe my focus? Do I need to reboot where my focus is? Am I focusing on everything that's wrong in the world? Am I ruminating? Am I spiraling into everything that's going wrong without reflecting on how I can change something to make it a better choice in the future? Am I living in the past? Am I worrying about the future? I mean, it's exhausting if you're not aware of it. And so before you know it, you might get to five o'clock in the end of your day and go, Day was okay. Why do I feel so bad? Because this constant tape in our background of our mind, if we're not aware of it, that's the 40% that those thoughts will lead to our focus, will lead to our habits, will lead to our daily rituals, which ones we choose to stick to, which ones we choose to like give up. So it's these micro moments that over time create either monumental success, whatever that means to you, or monumental stagnation, procrastination, doubt, worry, dread, and fear. And it doesn't happen overnight. It's these moment by moment by moment by moment choices. And I definitely see the overlay of perfectionism with that reptilian brain. It's negative. It's negative. I have to make it perfect. I can't. It's awful. It's going to be for, I can't. I, yes, I push, pull, push, pull. 
Yeah, and it's so subtle, you know, because sometimes, you know, and the interesting thing about perfectionism for most of us is it brings it up a level of anxiety. And anxiety and panic and excitement, they all run on the same nervous system. So it can be really challenging. So for some, so for some of us, you know, there's nothing wrong in wanting to be excellent. There's nothing wrong in wanting to be ambitious and driven and focused and, and all of that. But at the end of the day, when I say to someone, or they ask me, Laura, is, well, is perfection good or bad? I'm like, I can't tell you. Perfection is only a word until you attach an emotion to it. So then I would ask you, hey, when you think about trying to be perfect, does that bring you more joy? Or does it suck the joy out of you? There's your answer. If you say, no, actually, you know, in my work life, I love trying to be perfect. It really excites me. It's, you know, it drives me to be the best I can. I bet don't change a thing. And then I say, well, how does your relationship with yourself? Do you feel like you have to be perfect to show up well in the world? And does that add joy to your life or does that suck the joy out of you? And then you might go, well, first note, actually, I, well, now I think about it, I, I, I feel kind of stressed when I feel like I have to show up a certain way all the time. Or it's like, if I feel like I've made a mistake, it's not even I made a mistake, I almost feel like I am a mistake. So it's these really subtle things. And the more research I read on perfectionism, Laura, is it's such an individual, tricky thing that this is where you get to be your best inner coach. You and I can guide people to have you know, high-powered questions to go, oh, I've not looked at it from, from, from that lens. But at the end of the day, I just keep coming back to whether ever, where you think something is good or bad for you, a relationship, a thought process, uh, this idea of being perfect, does it add more joy to your life or does it suck the joy out of you? And there will be your answer on whether you might want to unpack it a little bit. See, and then, it, and then this I also get, Laura, is, well, if I give up being perfect, my fear is I'm going to suddenly sit on the couch eating bonbons. <laughs> Not going to happen. So, you know, you are often type A people wake up because there's a lot of good that comes from that. You're a high achiever. You're probably a great friend. You're always on time. You triple check your work. But do you have to check your work 50 times? If you make a typo, does that throw you into like a state of like, you know, beating yourself up? If you make an error, do you see that as a flaw of your psychic, you know, your own psyche? So let's just kind of put everything into balance with no such thing there, but yes. knowing that at what expense is, if, and if you're working so hard, don't you want joy along the way? What is, I, and I'm going to keep saying as I get older, do you want to say on your tombstone, she died trying to be perfect. Uh, no. What? No. She died with joy. You know that she died. She danced her way into the grave, joyful and happy and a little bit messy. But um, it's just this idea of we're working so hard and there will be costs along the way. Like with are spinning the plates. There will be areas that will be neglected for a little bit, but it's not at any cost. It's not at the expense of your happiness and your joy. And I just feel we're all working so hard in different areas of our life that I think one area we, I would encourage people to work hard at is doing the inner work, exploring those conversations that you might be having with yourself that don't serve you, that you find yourself beating yourself up more than anyone else. You know, you're not treating yourself as you would a loved one. And then at the end of the day, you know, 
a really great thing is, would you speak to anybody else the way you speak to yourself? Oh, probably not. Yeah. That is so true. And I love that you boil it all back down to the self because that is the only thing we can change, we can manage, is ourselves. And no one teaches us this. I think for especially for women, this idea of taking care of ourselves feels very selfish. Absolutely. But, But it's not, it's that balance between selfish and then selfless. I see more, it's rare, I don't, I see very few selfish women. Uh, I see much more in the other spectrum where they're selfless to the expense of their own happiness. And that's not teaching your kids to put, put everybody else ahead of you. So it's that balance. So spinning the plates again, right? It's like taking care of my kids, taking care of my husband or my partner or my girlfriend, whatever it is. And then it's taking care of you. But no one taught me how to do that. My mom, bless her heart, my, she was an incredible mom, but she was so busy trying to keep a roof over our head because my dad was a drinker. So my mom had to take care of us by working three jobs. She, could, she didn't have the bandwidth to say, hey, Petra and Jenny, don't forget to love yourself along the way. She was spinning the plane just so we didn't get kicked out of a house, you know? So we, this is the work that we do as we get older and we go, hey, you know, I want to do things differently, not better or worse, but maybe there's a different way of being in this world that when we show up that way, guess what? It gives other women that we love, we want to help, we want to serve. Also gives them permission too. And that includes your daughters. Yes. And I am so grateful that you just brought up that there were some challenges in your childhood because I think it's easy for listeners or readers of your book or whatever to think, well, of course Petra's happy. She's had the perfect life and she's this fitness star and she's been in like videos and DVDs and she's had this perfect life and she's beautiful and she's healthy. Of course it's easy for her to be fit, but you don't know me. My life was hard and my life was difficult and We all have difficulties. We all go through really good times and really bad times. And it's still that choice that we can make to find our joy and do the inner work and ask ourselves the questions. And also that you just said, make some different choices, maybe do some things differently. Not like, oh my gosh, this was horrible. And I'm such a victim. Look at it for what it is. Yeah, everyone has a story. Everyone's doing the best they can. And this is the danger, I think, Laura, in the world that we live in right now is we see this overnight success online, on social, and even the, you know, the Instagram thought leaders, the ones that have 5 million followers, that didn't happen overnight. That was a lot of hard work. That was seeing an opportunity before most of us did. Even the influencers are working really hard. But what social media doesn't do, it doesn't show the 10,000 hours. It rarely shows the struggles. It rarely, and I, you know, and I also balance this out between, I don't ever want my life to be a therapy session on social media. You know, I want to inspire others without burdening them. But also we all have highs. We all have lows. It's called life. That's just the way it is. And part of my challenges growing up was my dad drank. So my mom had to work, you know, a lot to, you know, keep a roof over our head. And because we were in England in a very small town where we don't, it's all about keeping that stiff upper lip and fitting in and don't stand out too much. That's where my perfectionism took root because I felt so flawed. Like if anyone could look behind the scenes, 
oh my gosh, they're going to judge me. And no one would judge me, but that I didn't know that as a kid. So I suddenly put on this persona of I'm perfect Petra and I say the right thing at the right time and I don't ruffle feathers. And then I'm going to have control because everything else was so out of control. I had this false illusion. If I can control every other area of my life, <laughs> then everything's going to be okay. And we know how well that works out because the only constant is change. But I think this is where, you know, one thing technology is doing is killing empathy. They're showing that screen time, you know, children at the age of eight now don't know how to show empathy because empathy means being able to be in someone else's shoes. How can you do that if you're behind a screen? So what I think it would serve us all to remember I'm just doing this as a reminder to myself too. Yes. When we're on social media looking at everyone else's highlight reel, they have a story. Nothing is as good as it seems. There's always a struggle. So we can go on and be compassionate for everybody else, including their successes. Um, then I just think that's what the world needs right now. And then have empathy for ourselves too. We're doing the best we can in this thing called life that's really unpredictable and, you know, we're recording this right before Valentine's Day, which I think is just, for most of us, is a very challenging time. Because even if you're in relationship, there's this thing that we're going to have this, per and I was like, my, one of my favorite sayings is, um, the real romance starts when the loves, when the movie ends, you know, when they get kissing, uh -huh. then it, that's when all the real stuff happens. So this idea of just having a love of life, having a love of appreciation for who we are, our imperfectly flawed selves, our imperfectly flawed relationships that teach us the best of ourselves. Because here's the thing about perfect. We can't learn in perfect. Yeah. We learn in the struggles. We learn in the cracks. We learn in the so-called mistakes. We learn in the disasters, you know, and then from that, we strengthen our resilience, our grit, our foundation, and then we build, you know, the life, the next version and life, the next version. And it's just this exciting thing that's unpredictable, can be overwhelming at times, so amazing at other times. <laughs> that's just what it is. Mm -hmm. Now you have said some brilliant, brilliant, brilliant things about the highlight reel. And then you had said earlier that you realized you were posting all of this positive, wonderful stuff on social media for a while and that that was a disservice as well. And I was just thinking about that balance between the highlight reel, which we all have, and the low light reel, which we all have. And tying that into that 40% and that ability to choose. And wow. Because you're right, I too like to post the good things, but I too like to connect and share with people. I have a story that's pretty painful too, but I'm still choosing to be positive. And I do want my kids to see my struggles and I do want my friends and clients, but I also choose in my own head the positive because it keeps my joy up. And wow, there's a lot of plates on that one too, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, I think too, Laura, when I think there's, there's times and places to share the struggle. And I always ask myself three questions. Will this, because we all have different parts of our stories too, right? So I had a story about my dad being alcoholic. I have a story about how I had eating disorders. I had a story about someone betraying me and heartbreak. Does all those stories serve everybody? No. But if I meet someone or a girlfriend's going through a hard time, like she just had a breakup 
I get to relate that piece of my story. Like, oh, you know, my story is different to yours, but I do understand what it feels like to have your heart broken, you know? And so I ask, will this help somebody? If it's going to help them feel less alone, I'll probably share it. Then though, there are people that are so empathetic, it actually, they take your story on as their story. Yes. like, okay, if I, then I won't share it. And then the other thing is, and I see this, I see this on social media unwittingly, is that are we looking for anything in exchange for our story? So if I'm going to post something about my struggle, I got to make sure in a way I feel, this is my own personal choice, that I'm already through to the other side. I don't want to be still working it out on social media, especially if I'm, I'm a leader. I, I, I'm a leader yes. in, in what I do, but I can say this is what's helped me in the past. You know, um, this is what I went through, but I want to make sure I'm not looking for sympathy. I'm not, I want to make sure I'm not looking for people to point fingers at somebody else and make someone else the villain. Cause this is all about me at the end of the day. What did I learn from this experience? But there is a lot of comfort that can come from someone seeing you, Laura, whatever your journey and your story is that, wow, Laura got through that. She mm -hmm. got through that and she's this joyful. It, what that does, it's giving them hope. And there yes. is nothing greater than having hope when you don't know where to take your next step or even your next breath. When your heart is shaken, broken to the core for whatever that reason is, the death of a loved one, loss of a loved one, loss of a dream, you know, whatever that might be, loss of your health. If someone, if you can relate to someone who's maybe a year out from you, two years out from you, and they got through it, hope is the greatest gift we can give anybody. Oh, that's brilliant. Yes, it is. Now, in your keynote, I know you talk about the shift from being a perfectionist to a passionist. And I was thinking that's kind of part of it too. It's sharing with people my life isn't perfect, but I still have passion and drive and hope and joy. And here are the gifts that have come from my imperfectness, from my heartbreak, from my devastation. Yeah, and I think this, idea, this kind of dovetails, Laura, to this idea of before, like people going, well, if I give up perfection, does that mean I'm suddenly not going to be successful? I'm like, oh my gosh, no, you are probably going to be more successful because I, the women I've met, especially oftentimes that glass ceiling is perfectionism. They think they've given it all, but here's the thing. When you're trying to be perfect, you don't ask for help. You don't take the risks that you need because you're afraid of failing. You very rarely say, I don't know the answer. So we kind of keep ourselves limited where it, if we come from a place of passion, of curiosity, we, more than like, I've never worked harder in my life than I do now, Laura, but I'm not, if I make, a, I make more mistakes now than ever because I'm stretching myself. I'm also asking for help more than I ever have because as we write, as I wrote my first book, as I moved into keynote speaking, I didn't know any of this. So I got to say, I have no idea. And so you might work harder than ever, but it's no longer being fueled by fear of being found out as like, I don't belong at this table. It's no longer being uh, afraid of making your mistakes. It's being fueled by curiosity, potential, joy. And then what would happen if I did this? What would happen versus, oh my gosh, if I did this and it didn't work out. So the journey might be the same. You might work harder. You might be more successful. It's rare that you're going to be less successful. But you get to look back and it's all about, 
and it's you know we hear this it's so overused but life is not about the journey it's about the destination no life's not about the destination about the journey yes I'm like, it's about who you become through the failures through the you know the heartbreaks through the successes it's it's who we as we unpeel all these layers of who we were brought up to think that we should be as we get back to the root of who we always were we just forgot that that was enough that our authentic self was pretty perfect and so we started laying on these false beliefs about who we should be so yeah it's just this really imperfect messy journey that when we can appreciate all of it and not just seek out those highs those the good moments the that's when we get to really savor the good moments because we're not afraid of them passing. We're not holding our breath, waiting for the shoe to drop. So it doesn't necessarily change what's going to happen, but it changes our experience of everything that we're going through, if that makes sense. It does make sense. It does. And also when you were talking about working harder and putting yourself out there more, it reminded me of some experiences that I've had and I'm willing to bet that you can relate to some of these experiences. I have made some big mistakes on stage in front of people. This one mistake involved tap shoes and falling down in tap shoes on stage in front of a lot of people pretty much wearing a bikini. And it was a little, a lot embarrassing. <laughs> but it kind of endeared the people to me because no longer was I a figure up on stage being a perfect leader. I was a human just like them who dared to put myself out there and dared to fail and fail pretty big. And then there was even more of a connection and I felt like I became a better leader and a more powerful person in that moment because of my failure. Yeah, I mean, I think often the mistake is that we feel to be a leader, to be um, a change agent, to be someone that wants to create work, you know, meaningful work in this world, we need to be perfect. Here's the thing, as you know, no one connects to perfect. No. We connect to our cracks. And to be a perfect leader, you need to know, not to be a perfect leader, to be a great leader, to be a change agent, you need to know what you want to do in the world. But if you're always trying to do it perfectly, you're never going to put your greatest work out there. Because again, perfect perfectionism wants to keep you safe. And I think like you had said, like you found out when you made that failure. And here's, um, here's the great thing about failure. I love this acronym, F-A-I-L. F-A-I-L, first attempts in learning. So when we never fail, we've never really tried anything new for a while. And a great thought leader who I adore, his name's Seth Golden. He said, and this is another thing that can keep us very protective because we don't want people to judge us, ah. which is horrible. No one wants to be judged. No. But he says, to be remarkable means you will be remarked upon. Ooh. The good, yeah, I know, the good and the not so good. And it is none of our business what the negative people are saying. They're just people wishing. When we show up, doing the work, flawed, with mistakes and always, but you have the bravery and the courage to get up in your bikini and your tap shoes. You know, the only real naysayers are the ones that are going, I wish I had the courage to do that. You're highlighting everything that they wish they were doing. And we have no business to worry about that. We only can worry about doing our best work with good intention to be of service in the world and then the people who will be those, those critics, 
what they, that saying, you know, what you think of me is none of my business. So easy to say, so very hard to do, especially with all these keyboard warriors that are out there. But, you know, again, if we worry about no one, um, if we worry about people not liking what we're saying, if we want to try and please everybody, which is what I, what I used to try and do, I used to want to try and please everybody, a people okay. pleaser, you know, you end up pleasing nobody. And again, to stand for something. And now the more, the more dialed in I get on the work I want to do, the pain I see with women and this idea we have to be a perfect way, show up in this perfect way, the more I drill deep on that message, the less people I'm going to, the less wide reach I'm going to have because that's not for everybody. But I've never felt so certain and so, so sure that this is the right place for me to be doing the best work, not the perfect work, but the best work in this world where I can make the biggest difference. So I'm going deep and narrow versus wide and reaching everybody. And the clearer we get on what it is we want to bring to the world versus what we think we should be bringing to the world, the better work we will be doing. I love that. Okay, I'm going to ask you a really deep question on that. Okie dokie. <laughs> Would you be willing to share with our listeners what you consider your biggest failure that you didn't think you were going to get through, where all those nasty perfectionist voices you know, came into your head, and then what you did, and maybe how long it took you to get over that or through it? Mm, good question. Big, deep one. I know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, huh. Well, there's two. There's like an, an easy one and then a, a deeper one. We'll go into that too. One of the one, one I remember from my career is I had put a VH, this is how, this is how long ago we're going. I put a VHS tape out and I just gotten over cancer. So I was like 10 pounds heavier. I had curly hair because I've lost my hair and it, and it was a Tai Chi, it was, it was movement that was a little unique to what people were used to having for me. They were used to my step and my high-low. And I thought, you know, Tai Chi really saved my life. It's what got me through chemo. So I put this movement out. I thought it was really beautiful. Oh my gosh, the hate I got on, on it wasn't social media at the time, but the, it was like, I felt like an epic failure. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe she's a fitness expert and she's showing up this way. But I had failed myself because I bought into what everybody else was thinking of me. Or, and now looking back, I, it took me a long time to recover from that. And this particular company that was carrying my VHS tape reached out to me and said, when are you going to do a new, new, new tape? And I went, I'm not. It almost yeah. derailed my career. I'm like, have you read what is on your site recently? It's like <laughs> vitriol. And now I'd be like, I would know, I would have so much more inner wisdom that it, wouldn't, it would, wouldn't bother me. It would upset me that people from my community could be that narrow-sided. Yeah. Uh, but it, took me, it almost derailed me, Laura. That took me a long time to come back from emotionally because I think for two reasons. A, I'd just gotten over cancer. <laughs> so it was like, kind of a big not, one. Kind of a big one. Um, that's not enough having to do with these people. But uh, I now I... And, I think I was lucky in the fact, I mean, that could have been a whole different journey. I was this, you can't see my fingers, but I was like, I was a fingernail away of giving up my career. Oh. So thank God. I, that took me a long time to get over emotionally. Another one was 
I guess I'm being completely honest. It wasn't a failure on my end per se, but obviously anything we learn is about what we have to. I was in a relationship for four years, five years. Um, I guess I'm four years out. And I had put everything, I'd stopped my career. I'd stepped off the stage uh, because it was weekend and there was a, a kid involved. So I wanted to be the perfect uh-huh. bonus mom, the perfect partner, the perfect support system. And I gave up. I really lost myself in that. And when it basically uh, blew up overnight, I say overnight in air quotes because there's a lot more to the story than that. But I was literally out of what I thought was my dream life a month later back in New York on my own. Um, whew, that was a tough one. Bad. That was the first time in my life I thought I had the perfect life. But what I'd really done, I had, sac- I had really given up so much of who I was for the idea of this perfect relationship. Yeah. I lost a lot of myself in that. So, but that was the first time in my life ever through the death of my mother, through cancer twice. I, my legs, I couldn't feel my legs and I didn't know if I was going to make it. Yeah. That was yeah. where I did the deep inner work. And it wasn't ever about, okay, yeah, yeah, it was about the other person. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I had a lot to learn about myself and quickly. And yeah. it took therapy. It took really like, now looking back, I really had compromised the ess- my essence. Yeah. My essence. And so that's, you know, um, really had given up who Petra was for the idea of a perfect relationship. Yeah. From the outside looking in, looked pretty darn perfect. Uh-huh. But I, if I really am truthful now, my intuition knew it probably wasn't going to last because I'd give, or if it was going to last, thank God it didn't last. Because if it had lasted, I would be a shell of who I am today. Yeah. And this was the inner work I had to do to be able to get to the place where I am today. And I say, you know, the life throws you a pebble, a rock, or a brick wall. And that was my brick wall, let me tell you. It brought yeah. me to my knees, but it had to. Yes. The universe is going, Petra, wake up. Wake up, wake up. And my intuition was kind of like knocking at my door and I was not paying attention. So I don't know if that answered the question. Yes, yes, it did. It did perfectly on so many levels because I too have been hit with a brick wall and it does take that, embarrassingly, it does take that to get to that deep work. But I feel like your book is helping people prepare one, maybe they can do some of the work without that brick wall. (laughs) And then also it gives them the tool that when that wall hits, and whether it's a pebble or a rock or a wall, something will hit, they've got a resource to turn to, and they've got research that backs it up. It's not just happy, feel-good moments and yay, let's feel better. There's real stuff here, and it can really shift people's lives. Yeah, I mean, I think I really wanted to feel like a conversation between two girlfriends, you know, over a cup of tea, Um, but I needed it to be... I needed it to be, I call it evidence-based inspiration. 
it has to be rooted in the science that this is not woo woo. And I want, I, I love woo woo. I want to do a whole workshop called the science of woo woo because there's a lot of stuff that we've known intuitively, but now science is showing this is why our intuition yeah. is so on point. And like you said, I don't want someone to have to go through cancer or a devastating relationship or the loss of a loved one to suddenly wake up to the gift of the extraordinary in what sometimes can seem like the ordinary of days. But this work, whether it's finding that self-confidence and showing up fully in your relationship and not being apologetic for having needs. You know, for the longest time, I thought having needs meant I was needy. Because that's not perfect. <laughs> if I was perfect, then I wouldn't have needs. It's just, it's so interesting now looking back that, you know, people often, they might say to you or, you know, people often say, are you, like, whether it's cancer or relationship, are you, um, what's, the, what's the word they use? Um, oh, are you grateful that you had that or you went through that? I'm like, yeah, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, through that heartbreak or cancer? No, but. Am I proud and excited and thankful for the person who I became by going through that? So I want, I'm not going to say I was grateful for the experience, but I am grateful for the lessons that I could only get from that experience, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So where can listeners find out more about you and get a copy of your book? Well, the best place to go is my website, just my name, petrakolber.com, P-E-T-R-A-K-O-L-B-E-R.com. And there you can find all about the book and the podcast that I have and anything that I'm doing is there. And then social media, as much as I have a love-hate relationship, um, it's just my name, Petra Kolber on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter on the rare. I don't really tweet that much. My Facebook is my place. Um, so that's where you can find me too. Wonderful. And I will link you on my show page. I'll link you across my social. And as usual, listeners, if you can't remember because you're driving down the freeway and can't write this down, reach out to me when you have an opportunity and I will hook you up because, oh boy, if you're anything like me, we need to detox and we need to do some of that work and move into our happiness and into our joy. Petra, thank you so, so much for being my guest today. I absolutely had a ball talking with you. Thank you so much for having me on as a guest. And it was, you, I walked away feeling more joyful and more happy. I didn't think that was possible, but you gave me the joyful shot that I needed. So thank you. Well, thank you. And listeners, I hope you have a joy-filled, wonderful day. And as usual, don't forget to flaunt. Tune in next time to Flaunt. Build your dreams, live your sparkle with radio host Laura Cheadle every Wednesday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on syndicated Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. Come release self-judgment, reveal your naked self-worth, and re-choreograph a life filled with joy. Flaunt, find your fetish, laugh out loud, accept unconditionally, navigate the negative, and trust in your truth. Find out more at laurachedle.com. That's L-O-R-A-C-H-E-A-D-L-E.com.